we know that those who fought in the Vietnam War were not as welcomed and respected as our military personnel who return home today. But for some, it was very much a nightmare. In fact, today's guest was charged with, one of today's guests was charged with a second degree felony because he attempted suicide. Now that sounds like it doesn't make any sense at all, uh, but it happened to him and we're going to find out more in just a moment. Hello everyone, I'm Pamela Brewer and I welcome you to this edition of Mind Talk. Today's guests are Dan Adair and The co-author is Linda Gossin. Together they have written Innocence Lost, the story of a Vietnam vet. Welcome, Dan. Welcome, Linda. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Dan, you describe yourself as you are described in Innocence Lost as a, and I'm quoting now, a hillbilly raised in the West Virginia mountains eating pinto beans and cornbread and feeling blessed. So sounds like you had a kind of a laid-back, simple life. It was a simple existence. Yes, I did. Uh, my dad was a coal miner, and my mother uh, participated in the garden, mostly her in the garden. But uh, we ate quite a few pinto beans, and we were just common old people. And uh, that's, uh, I'm, I'm from a place called uh, Welch, West Virginia. It's, it's south of the southern part. But we, we were in the coal mining area, and uh, it was, it was quite, quite a poor area. As you were growing up, what did you imagine your life would be like? Actually, uh, I... Everybody in the area, unless you worked in a film station or, or a funeral home, uh, I would say coal mine was about the only thing you had. And I'd never been out of West Virginia at the time, uh, basically because uh, my parents couldn't afford it. They were raising a family of their own, uh, including me. But uh, I just kind of enjoyed the, the atmosphere of the Appalachian Mountains. And who did you grow up with, Dan? I, uh, well, I had a, a two sisters or, or one sister, whichever in the book. But uh, I just more or less, when you're up there, it's like playing cowboys and Indians, and you're the cowboy Indian, and you have to shoot at yourself and pretend that the cowboy shot you or whichever, because houses were very far away from each other. And uh, a, a trip to the grocery store was a highlight of the week. So, again, clearly you didn't have any sense that your life was going to be what it ultimately became. There was a time you went to school, you graduated high school, and and Linda uh, Gossin, the uh, co-author of Innocence Lost, uh, the story of a Vietnam vet, I'm going to ask you, Linda, to chime in uh, whenever it seems reasonable for you. Uh, For Dan... There was a time after graduating high school, and uh, you got a letter and kind of left your folks a little bit concerned. Tell us about that letter. Well, I didn't actually know about the letter until late in the afternoon. My my mother always, it was an adventure to be able to go to the letterbox and and get a letter because uh, back in Sears and Roebuck magazine was the biggest thing, whichever. But once she got the letter, she uh, she hid it from me. She 
she read it and uh, and she realized you know the content and she didn't absorb it very well and late that afternoon after supper she uh, she handed me the letter during supper as a matter of fact and uh, told me not to not to read it right now to wait till later and and uh, some moments later, maybe a half hour or so forth, as I read it, I just sat on the edge of the bed, and she walked in, and uh, she had a few tears in her eyes that, that she had actually uh, raised a son. I was an only son, and uh, now that uh, somewhere around three weeks after graduation, he receives a draft notice with Vietnam going wide open. So that's kind of, uh, to put it mildly, a huge deal, certainly a shock. And it's interesting the way the letter was crafted because they essentially said that if you don't show up, we're coming to get you. Have a great day. Well, that's the way they operated back then. Uh, I didn't have a choice to go to Canada or anywhere else. Uh, transportation was uh, basically at, at a zilch and all Dad had was a jeep, and I wasn't going to Canada anyhow because he had uh, he'd served in World War II, and he'd uh, he'd got a silver star permit. But it was my obligation to the family to hold up the name and do what I was supposed to do, so I did so. You at when you left, just before you left in high school. You know, so many people typically think of high school as the time when you, much to your parents' chagrin, you're trying all kinds of new things, you are going to parties, you're dating, you're doing all the things that your parents wished you wouldn't. Did you do any of those things? No, because, uh, uh, like I said before, we were a poor family. We lived uh, on top of the mountain and, and just uh, catch school bus every morning was a, a venture for us, but as far as parties and, and so forth, no, it, it was more or less a, a humble life, and, and that's the way we lived it, and actually that's all we could see was uh, living uh, in the mountains and working in the coal mines, I guess, was the only thing we seen in our future. So, you know, again, it was a quiet life, it was a peaceful life, it was a predictable life. And then comes this letter, and shortly after, you're on a bus, and you're on your way to Fort Benning, Georgia, and boot camp. I would imagine that was difficult for the entire family. My mom and dad, uh, they drove me to the bus station, which was uh, 25, 30 miles away. But during the meantime, while I was on that, in the back of the Jeep, we only had that Jeep, as I say, and... Uh, there wasn't quite, uh, there was hardly any conversation at all because the end result was uh, the bus that was going to haul me off. And as we arrived at the bus station uh, after sitting in there for a couple of minutes waiting on the bus, I just decided to get out and look around and so forth. And Mom had pulled out a picture of uh, a family picture that, uh, that out of her purse. I don't know where she'd got it from. I don't recall ever seeing it before, but as I loaded on, on the bus, she handed it to me along with a small Bible and said, never go astray from the Bible. We were church-going people. She said, never go astray from this Bible, and here's a picture that uh, we just want to see you home again. Uh, we don't know 
what's going to happen, but take care of yourself. You know, that that's an interesting uh, comment from your mom as you were headed off to boot camp and ultimately to a war where your life was about to change 360 degrees and then some. Yes, it was, and believe it or not, I've never really been out of uh, West Virginia, and to be able to see different parts of the country was good, but I had the, uh, you know, I had the, the feel of adventure from getting away, but also had the feel of uh, returning back and, and and helping mom and dad out and so forth, and I, I don't know, I just, I had to do what I had to do, but uh, it, it gave me another look at life itself. Dan, as, as you and I are talking, you heard, you and Linda both heard me introduce you both as um, authors of Innocence Lost. Why is Linda in the mix here? Well, what happened, um, Dan had written part of this book, and he came to me and he said, I'm just a West Virginia hillbilly. I don't know how to put this in the proper words, the proper terms, the proper English. And he was in the process of writing the second part of the book, and I said, as a good friend of his, I said, I will be more than happy to help you. So it's really his story, but it's a lot of it is my words putting it into the prose that would be good for putting into print. May I also add something there? Certainly. Uh, that was all true, and there was one catch also that uh, that I'd like to add. When I was uh, after I was sentenced, I was sent around to the courthouse to uh, receive papers uh, or information to uh, where to report to the probation officer and, and what days and so forth. And after, as that conversation was ending, the clerk there informed me that if I ever in my lifetime inherited anything up to a, a total of eighty-two thousand dollars that the state of Florida would take it off of me for court costs. And I felt if this book did make anything, I definitely didn't want to donate it to the state of Florida for what they've just done to me. add that Linda, it, it, it seems like, was actually a perfect person uh, to be involved in this project because Linda actually taught in uh, Baltimore County, Maryland. So, Dan, I think you made a good choice. I couldn't have picked a better person in my life. <laughs> Dan, let's go back to what was going on for you? What was your first impression when you arrived at boot camp in Fort Benning, Georgia? Well, the first
first thing they said, the, the busload of uh, people were uh, sent to be soldiers was hit the ground. Well, grass don't grow on a busy street, and the ground was sand. And they started their push-up ordeal, and uh, a lot of things were said there, like you see on movies sometimes. I knew I was in for a new adventure, and I was just praying to God I could make it to it. I do understand that. It's it's a stark uh, announcement, if you will, that your life was about to be forever different. It was different, and uh, after I'd succeeded the training in, in Fort Benning, I was then sent to uh, Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, for uh, advanced training, which made me a wheel vehicle mechanic. Now, I, I'm going to tell you something. Dad never let me work on a Jeep, and I didn't have any anything else to work on. I didn't know anything about working <laughs> on it. And, and they uh, graduated me, but uh, like I say, <laughs> I didn't know 716. But they uh, sent me to Gelnhausen, Germany after that to be a mechanic, and, and I didn't even work on wheel vehicle mechanics. I turned out to be a, 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 a tank mechanic, and it was cold over there. Good Lord, I thought West Virginia was cold, but Germany was, whoo, was it cold over there. But as I was there, uh, it was all spit shine. The military liked the soldier to look good, and of course, was in a different country and everything. But there was a Vietnam vet that come around that uh, shortly afterwards, and he had the patches and battle scars and everything. He gave us a little conversation one day, and as we listened to him, a group of us, I looked at that fellow and I said, you know, this ain't where I'm supposed to be. I, I don't like spit shine anyhow. And Dad had done what he had done in service, so I volunteered to go to Vietnam. I didn't have to go to Vietnam because I was not the only son. But I did, and, and uh, Uncle Sam granted that uh, request uh, 30 days later, and I was uh, sent back home for a 30-day vacation, and then I was sent to the Vietnam era. You, 30 days after talking to this individual, you received your orders for Vietnam. 30 days later, then you had 30 days to be home, and then you were off to Vietnam. What preparation, what specialized training, how did the military prepare you for this entirely new venture? They didn't prepare us at all, to be quite frank with you. Uh, uh, they showed us films of what women can do to dismantle a soldier while he's over there, uh, stuff like this. But uh, as far as prepping us, they gave us nothing. And, and I'd like to mention also, I thought, you know, or anybody would think if you're going to a battle zone, you'd be going over to see 130 and be strapped down and all this other stuff. We, they gave us uh, jungle fatigues to wear, and we boarded a TWA flight and landed in Cameron Bay in a TWA flight. And I said, good Lord, what is this here? But uh, when we got off that plane, it was, well, the, the captain on the plane said, fellas, he said, I didn't fly here to stay here. He said, the sooner you get off, the faster I can go home. So he knew he was in hot terror. 
you know, it's it. I I almost don't know what to say. I was in. I'll put it to you this way. I was in a helicopter medevac unit, which is better known as dust off. And our mission was to go out and pick up under any condition. Uh, I'm talking about whether they were receiving fire or had received fire. Any uh, injured soldier, uh, is it, well, any condition we had to go, we had to go get some guys, and we, we weren't afraid to do it. And after the third week, one of the uh, uh, crew chiefs, which uh, maintains the choppers, come over to me, and he said, do you, uh, said, hey, Gary, do you really want to go and find out what Vietnam is about? I said, yeah, I do. I said, uh, turning these wrenches ain't doing nothing. And he said, well, get you a, a flak jacket, and I'll have a helmet and everything. And, and I'll see you got an M79 grenade launcher there, which actually fires grenades at, at, at short distances. Bring that with you, and we're going to take a flight today. So I went on that flight, and... Uh, one, uh, when you go into an LZ, a landing zone, you don't know what to expect. There is no way that you can expect what's going to happen while you're in, in that LZ picking up that patient. But uh, one shot from that M79, if we were receiving fire, which we did several times, uh, would kind of... Uh, obstruct the enemy to where they would uh, either run run for uh, to hide or that one second could save your life of that round coming out in M79. So after I proved that I was what I was supposed to be, I was approached by more. We had six helicopters in our unit. I was approached by more helicopter uh, crew chiefs and, and basically that turned out to be my, my steady job other than uh, working on trucks because trucks hardly ever broke down anyhow. They weren't, they weren't very good, but what could you do if something's already wore out? Well, that's very true. But, you know, it, it really is, uh, you know, I, I think I keep using the word stunning, but it really is stunning to think about a young kid, which is exactly what you were. You, you go there to be a mechanic, which you knew nothing about, and then all of a sudden you're in a helicopter and you're dead in the fire of what's going on, literally, of what's going on. And you were picking up bodies and fighting for your own life as you're picking up bodies in all kinds of conditions. Okay, so let's just back up a second because I know people are saying, wait a minute, I'm sure I missed something. You attempt to kill yourself. You go to the hospital, you go to rehab, and then you get arrested and charged with what? Probable causes. Uh, th right. Th th I don't think there's a charge like that. I don't either. That's what I couldn't understand. They put me in there to hold me until they could come up with a charge. And then when I went to my first appearance uh, uh, uh judge, my wife and son showed up and protested against me, so he looked at me, the judge did, and said, Mr. Adair, I'm not going to give you bail or bond. He said, what do you want, a lawyer or a public defender? 
At that time, my wife stood up and said, a public defender, Your Honor, we cannot afford a lawyer. I was on 100% disability. With a check, monthly check coming in, the judge looked at me and said, a public defender it will be. He didn't ask me. He didn't ask me. He didn't investigate my, my income, anything at all. He appointed me a public defender, and I will tell anybody in this United States, if you get a public defender and you drop a popsicle stick on the sidewalk, you're going to jail because a public defender to me is useless. I'm sorry, but that's, I'll tell you why. I was in there two months in that 10 by 10 foot room before I even knew a public defender's name was supposed to represent me. Then, after going to the, to, in front of the judge with the uh, plea bargain I finally had to take, she stood there and, and the, the prosecuting attorney was laying me out like I was, he, he even told the judge or, or, or uh, pointed the question at me, he said, Mr. Adair, you're so stupid, you don't even know how to commit suicide correctly. What? And I went, I went, what in the world has this got to do with it? She didn't protest nothing. And the only reason I got out under a plea bargain, I was, I was after four and a half months, I was sent into a place called, uh, uh, well, a bigger cell. And I said, you know, I ain't getting out of here if I don't do something. So I went... And, and contacted, I, I sent message after message for her, please get in touch with me. After I wrote a message that I was willing to take the plea bargain, the next morning she showed up. Now, ain't that ironic? And that's how, the, but when I was, uh, after I got sentenced, after I'd agreed to take the plea bargain and get out of jail, because I wasn't getting out of jail any other way, and the gavel went down. She leaned over my shoulder. My prosecuting attorney leaned over my shoulder and said, Mr. Adair, I didn't even get a chance to look over your case. If I would have, I'm sure I could have got the charges dropped. Dropped. The plea bargain, which ended up as the charges, was firing a firearm inside a dwelling within the city limits. One shot was fired, which went in my head in my own house with nobody else in the house but me. The other charge was illegal exhibition of a deadly firearm, and the other charge was shooting myself while I was drinking. The first two charges dropped off a year later. Oh, by the way, I was in there seven and a half months. When I was charged with 15 years, that seven and a half months did not come off the 15 years. But... The first two charges dropped. The third charge will be there until I'm 79 years old. And the charge, it, it's a felony charge, yes? Yes. I, I don't understand. Where can they get a felony charge for attempted suicide? And with a felony charge, you, you can't vote. Uh, it's got to be impossible to get a job. There are all kinds of things that fall away from you in terms of options with a felony charge. Well, in addition to the felony charge, a, a attachment was added with no contact with my family or 
to come within my house, within my house of a thousand feet for 15 years. Well, when I got out of jail, I had to live in a motel room for two or three nights just to survive, which cost me, uh, I had to go to the bank, have all kind of money retransferred because she had received my full disability check plus my Social Security for, if you had the seven and a half months I was up in jail and the six weeks I was in the center, she got nine months worth of payments, and I still to this date don't know what happened to them. But finally, I got a motel or an apartment I could rent, and my probation officer seen me at the motel regularly in the three days. He had to make sure that I wasn't some kind of loony tune, I guess. But I asked him when he come there, I said, buddy, I said, you know, I finally got a place to rent. I'll be going in there tomorrow. I said, I know you'll be there. Don't wear your badge over there, because if you do, they'll probably throw me out of the place. They'll look me up on the Internet. You know what he did? He come out. He was there at daylight. He didn't wear his badge. God bless him, he didn't. But he had his pistol on his belt. Hello. <laughs> gotcha. Which one? You understand where I'm coming from? I do. <laughs> let, let me ask you this. You you keep talking about full disability and social security. At that time, how much money were you getting a month? To be honest with you. With she had just got her Social Security too, ironically enough, about eight months before that. We were making fifty fifty seven hundred dollars a month, clear money, and she could not get me done attorney. Wow. It is it's she inhaled well she inhaled forty six thousand dollars off of me while I was in jail. And when I got out, she sued me for divorce after I took her off the bank account that she wouldn't give me any money. And I had to get the, all the, the printouts from the bank and so forth and so on. She had, what was it, 12 credit cards? Oh uh, she had 12 credit cards maxed out, maxed out at $79,000. Three of them had my name on it. The rest of them she had co-signed for, and she was trying to stick that to where I'd have to pay for all them, too. What is your life like today? Right now, it's great. Other, I couldn't ask for a better life with, with, uh, with, with uh, matter of fact, I married Linda, and we have a nice home that we have uh, pulled through this thing with. And other than a cloud hanging over, every morning, every single morning that I wake up, the first thing clicks in my head is probation. I have a cloud over my head for the rest of my life to fight for a country, for my freedom that I felt I deserved and worked for or fought for has been taken away from me. And you've got an 80000 bill that you're supposed to pay Florida to re- reimburse them for prosecuting you? If I ever receive anything, but let me add something to that. I have already paid $14,000. They put a lien on a house I had that I was going to sell, and I had to pay them $12,000 before I could sell the house. Then I had to pay them $50 a day while being in jail for seven and a half months, which added up to the other. And that's not even including the $52 a month I have to pay for probation for 15 years. 
Dan, how do people get more information about you about Innocence Lost. We unfortunately are out of time today, but I know that listeners want to know more about your story. There is a website. Uh, it is innocencelost.us. Okay, terrific. Innocencelost.us. All right. right. Linda Gossen, Dan Adair, authors of Innocence Lost, the story of a Vietnam vet. I encourage you all to go to that website to get more information, innocencelost.us. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Uh, thank, thank you, you. so very much, so very much, and make up less. And, folks, thank you for joining me today on this edition of Mind Talk. You can listen on demand to Mind Talk at mindtalk.org. That's M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. You can also download the Mind Talk app from your iTunes or Google Play Store. Mind Talk is produced by Jim Brown and 26 by 2 Communications. I'd love to know where in the world you are listening today, so do send an email to me at Pamela at mindtalk.org. That's P-A-M-E-L-A at M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. I'd love to hear your questions or comments about this or any other Mind Talk program. And again, the way to get more information about today's conversation is by going to innocencelost.us. And remember always, if it's unacceptable, then it is unacceptable. You take care. Thank you.